Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi everyone, it's Thursday again and welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Rob uh, Ross Beattie, who most of you will probably know, but those who don't know Ross, um, Ross is a mining entrepreneur and businessman who has dedicated his life to mining over the period of 45 years. Um, he's founded and successfully developed many companies in, in his career, including Equinox Gold and Pan American Silver Corp. With gold reaching all-time highs and silver undervalued as we speak, uh, there's no better time to chat to someone of Ross's calibre around what, what he perceives is happening in the industry and what the future holds for mining in the precious metal space. So I want to hand over to Ross and like to welcome you to the podcast. How are you doing, Ross? Pretty good. Thanks, Rob. Fine. Really appreciate your time, uh, taking the time to uh, come onto the podcast. So how we start this, uh, how we normally start is, I just want to, um, if you can give the audience a brief overview of your career. So way back from when you uh, graduated to sort of present day and just, just a snapshot of your career, maybe tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you've developed uh, to where you are today, and maybe tell the audience a few things that people may not know about you. <laughs> All in one minute, right? <laughs> as long as you want, as long as you want. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I could go on for, for, for more than one minute. I mean, I'll, I'll try to be brief. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean uh, uh, to tell the truth, uh, the, the audience do, do actually like this part of the uh, segment <laughs> of this podcast because you may not necessarily... Yeah, you may not necessarily always speak about, about what you've done previously, obviously over your 45 years. So, um, yeah... Take as long as you like. Sounds good. Well, I mean, it's fairly open, uh, open history because I've I've been running public companies now since uh, 1985. So you know, my life is is fairly public, and lots of people have interviewed me and asked me about you know my childhood and everything else. So it's kind of all there online if if people have an interest in it. I mean, just to make it make it more or less summary, uh, I was brought up in Vancouver, born and brought up in Vancouver. Um, third generation actually, so long, long roots here. And, uh, you know, normal middle-class family, uh, but I was always keen on the outdoors. I always liked hiking and, and, and getting outside and traveling a lot. And so um, it, that just informed every, I think really everything that I've, I've really been and done in most of my life. Um, you know, I wanted a job that would take me outside. Uh, and so I became a geologist. And when I studied geology, I just loved it. I loved everything about it, how the earth works and uh, how mineral deposits form, how earthquakes happen. And, and it, it just uh, was something I had a natural connection with. So I finished, uh, I finished geology at UBC, University of British Columbia, went to the Royal School of Mines in London for a master's, came back and I wasn't really ready to stop learning. I, I had an insatiable lust for knowledge, um, and I, I went to law school and studied law for a hobby. And uh, I, I articled and was qualified as a lawyer, but I, I, I actually loathed it. So <laughs> I never, I never became a lawyer. I, I never intended to. I was always a, a very good and a very happy geologist. And um, 
you know, I took a couple of years traveling around the world with a backpack. I spent a year in South America and Southern Africa. Another year after I left London uh, to travel through Asia, uh, just with a set of clothes and a, and a, and a small backpack. And uh, just about all over North Africa, the Middle East, you know, right the way through, uh, through Asia on by land. And then uh, hopped, you know, Burma, Thailand, Taiwan, Hong Kong, South Korea, Japan, you know, to, to get back home. But it was a very interesting year. And then I, I went to law school, finished law school. And by the end of the 70s, I was ready to go to work. And so yeah. I had realized uh, I'd worked all the way through the 70s uh, in the mining industry as a mineral exploration geologist or an assistant right from 1970 to 19, uh, 1980. And, um, you know, I realized that I wasn't really fit to be a kind of an uh, to be an employee I, I just <laughs> I was too opinionated and self-centered I guess and and really uh, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur I, I started while I was uh, finishing law school I incorporated my little a little company called BD geological and I set out to be a contract geologist I, I, I spent a while in BC then I went down to New Zealand spent nearly two years in New Zealand came back to Vancouver really got going with my own uh, contract geology business built it up fairly well. We had 33 geologists by the middle of the 80s, working all over the world actually in West Africa, in uh, Portugal, and all over Canada, the United States. So it was a busy little company, and I would generate projects and and uh, and flog them to companies that needed uh, needed exploration programs and, and properties. And and then I realized that you know when you when you run a contract company, you you, you make a pretty good living, you know, as a sort of a bread and butter business, but I decided to, to take advantage of the very uh, easy rules then prevailing on the Vancouver Stock Exchange to list a company and take my first company public called Equinox Resources uh, in 1985. And that was my entry into the world of, of public companies. And I quickly realized, you know, having invested, uh, having having really, I mean, we raised the grand total of $145,000 uh, in our IPO. And, and I was uh, belly aching at the ridiculous fees of $15,000 we had to pay to the lawyers and the accountants to get us public. And then another $15,000. Can you believe it? You know, yeah. nearly a 10% uh, net commission to the underwriters. And I, I was just outraged at that. And so we netted about $110,000 out of the $145,000 raise. I bought a drill, hired a driller. And I went to West Africa to Liberia, where we did drill the first uh, under, we drilled the first uh, uh, diamond drill program in the history of Liberia. Found a great gold deposit, promptly turned into a revolution. I literally fled with, with a couple. The guys kind of came with me, although our driller stayed there, and he he ended up having all kinds of chaos and mayhem. We 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 forfeited the drill and all of our equipment and fled. So you know, great discovery in in a in a, in a very tough country. So. Um, you know, that was that, but I'd financed that project in London. And so uh, I kept going back and forth through London. So I met a lot of my original uh, uh, capital partners in London and, and a lot of them back, back these dreams I had. I, I did have one skill that I learned I had. I could sell stock, you know, I could tell stories, I could excite people. And I had kind of enough, just enough geology uh, credentials to, you know, to convince them that I was going to find this huge these huge mines and make them all rich. And of course, you know, when you're young, you can do that. And, yeah. and, uh, and that's kind of the skill of a promoter. So, so I was able to build my own business then. And, uh, and, and even though we had failure in Liberia, we bought a little gold mine in Nevada. That was a good place to be. Then we discovered a gold mine in Nevada. And that was really my first big, big win 
it took about eight years for that discovery to really move through the different, you know, we, we, we optioned the property, we, we staked it, optioned it to Freeport, they drilled it and dropped it. And then we optioned to LAC Minerals, who drilled 100 feet deeper than, than Freeport had drilled. And bingo, found a, a fabulous uh, high-grade gold deposit called Rosebud. And, uh, and then, you know, discovered after a few more years of drilling that it wasn't quite big enough for LAC. And I just got lucky. I mean, I've had luck is the one thing that's informed my whole career. I just got lucky because they made the decision to divest their 51% stake right at the time it was kind of a weak market and there wasn't that much appetite for this sort of mid-size high-grade gold deposit like we had. So I was able to buy back their 51% to go to 100% and I, I, and I raised the money to do that by selling a royalty to, to Franco Nevada. So it was a really good time. Uh, we bought the other 51% for I think it was $3 million. And uh, in the meantime, we had, we had built a zinc mine and, and shut it down, rebuilt it, shut it down again as the zinc price went up and down. We had another gold mine in California that was a small mine. So, you know, I was just doing deal after deal. And, and it was just, I mean, it was just a, a crazy uh, period. Uh, but fortunately, that, that little bit of timing was good. And by, 2000, by 1993, I was approached by Hackler to see if they, they could buy the company or the, the deposit actually, and I said, well, you can't buy the deposit, but you can buy the whole company. So I sold Equinox in early 1994 to Hecla. And uh, I was, you know, was real happy to wash my hands of all the problems we had in the company, all the assets that we didn't want or, you know, that were, that were dogs. And the stock's last day of trading was an all-time high. So it was every single shareholder could have made money in the company. And it was, it was really nice to exit that business really on a high point and, and make my first fortune. The, the company was sold for $107 million, which in those days was a lot of dough. And I owned about 10% of it at the time. So, you know, I'd taken all my earnings and all my, all my uh, salary and, and revenue from, from, the, from the company and plowed it into buying more stock. And it was a, a winning formula. So that was my first big big win. And, uh, you know, literally the next day after we sold it, I started Pan American Silver and another junior. And uh, it just, you know, to kind of make a long story short, there's been 15 companies till now. Uh, I'm on my last company and I've, I've, rena I've named it the same name as the first company, Equinox. Instead of Equinox Resources then, it's Equinox Gold today. But this will be, I think, my last public company in a long stream of quite successful uh, companies, some producing companies like Pan American and, and Equinox, and some were just pure exploration companies. There's a whole string that we had six in the copper business. I've had four or five in the gold business uh, where you just, you know, you just dis acquire or discover something and, and work it up, do all the usual work you need to do to, to prove value, and then, and then fog it to some company wanted to build a big mine. And so I've done that many, many times in my career, uh, mostly as a developer, but also as a significant investor. And, uh, and, and so, you know, taking it to the present time, it's been a great journey, uh, full, of, full of fun, but I'm pretty much at the end of the, end of the game now. And, uh, and um, I can just say it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a run and uh, full of, you know, a lot of luck and working with wonderful people who've, you know, I couldn't do any of this myself. I've worked with a lot of great teams, still do. Pan American Silver's got a, I think, just a world-class management team. Equinox Gold, same thing. Along the way, uh, just as a little dis a little detour, uh, in 2008, having just sold five copper companies in the previous four or five years um, for v huge gains, um, 
I wanted to do something else. I'm a hardcore environmentalist. I, I really uh, love nature and I want to protect it and look after it as much as possible. You know, people might say it's incompatible with being a, a miner and it, it, they're just idiots. They're just, they're just naive, I think. I almost yeah. said idiots, but a lot of them are idiots who say that. They just have no idea uh, what they're talking about. Um, in any case, I, I wanted to use my skill as an entrepreneur and a resource. I understand the resource business pretty well to build a clean energy company. So I started in 2008 to, to focus on geothermal power, uh, thinking that it was really a world solution to, to our electricity uh, problem and our CO2 problem. Quickly realized it was a very tough game. It, it, it suffers from the twin problems of being high risk and low return. You know, exactly the opposite to what you want. Yeah. So I abandoned that quite quickly uh, and, uh, and went into wind and hydro and solar power and actually built a pretty big company, uh, which uh, 10 years later, in, in a couple of years ago, in 2000 and, and late 2017, or actually early 2018, I sold to a large similar company in Montreal, merged the two companies together. It was about a billion dollar, $1.1 billion deal. And now uh, I'm still on the board of that company. I'm the largest retail investor in the company uh, by far. And I'm very proud of what that company is doing. It's still staying in the clean energy business. It's a big company now. We produce almost 4,000 megawatts of, of clean energy. So that was uh, a different game. Some aspects were similar to mining. Some aspects were very different. But uh, I'm very happy about being in that game, uh, trying to trying to do a little thing that that you know we can all do our own little bit, right? To 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 try to get us off uh, this addiction to fossil fuels, and uh, that was what I did, and yeah. I'm still involved in that. And um, so that's that's basically the story. Yeah, that, that was more than a minute, wasn't it? Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, you mentioned the word lucky a few times. Do you think you were lucky or do you think that because of your passion for mining, you were probably out doing, like you said, doing a lot of deals, but you were in the right place at the right time. You were probably working many hours a day, seven days a week. You were out there doing, doing stuff all the time, making connections, traveling the world. Because you were in that position and doing all those things, do you think that was because that bought you that luck because you were so active and doing a lot of things or was it a case of, yeah, I might've been lucky on a few things. No, I think it's, uh, it's the old story. You know, the harder you work, you, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, mm. you, you can't just, uh, you can't just win a lottery unless, unless you buy a lot of tickets. Yeah. So there's no question I had lots of exposure to luck, but, but there's also no question I really did get lucky. I mean, that first big score in my first company, Equinox Resources, finding that gold deposit, sure, we had, we had, we had drilled probably 100 gold deposits, 100 deposits across Canada and all over the U.S. and Africa, as I said, and, and, and finally, bingo, we hit that one mm. big strike. But then we, we got lucky in many ways. We got lucky and you know, having this big company not quite fine enough for them and eventually I was able to buy it. I got lucky to be able to finance the purchase without diluting the company too much. So, you know, it's it's you get lucky and then you kind of you kind of exploit your luck and you and you so that takes skill, I guess, but uh, I know a lot of great geologists, every bit as good as me, better in many respects, who spent their whole careers and haven't found a single deposit. And then I know other ones who are good geologists who find deposits and then give them away through lousy deals. Or they dilute their company out of existence and there's just nothing there for shareholders, so they can't do it again. But having made that one score, 
And all of my investors were really happy. They backed my, my next company, Pan American Silver, right out of the gate. So Pan American had this premium, crazy high premium to anything it was really intrinsically worth, which allowed me to finance and then, you know, build a company uh, in a rather tough market. I mean, Pan American started in 1994 and I was, you know, I was, it was the old, you know, I, the, the great knowledge of, of true ignorance. It was very easy for me to tell people silver's going to the moon. <laughs> yeah. You know, silver's going for all these reasons. Silver's going to the moon. It's going to be, you know, it's trading for $5 and 94. It's going to be over $10 an ounce by the end of the decade. Just, you know, every penny you, you know, you give me, we're going to buy these out of the money silver properties that are worthless today. And when it hits $10, we're going to have more money than, than, than increases. So, of course, predictable happened. You know, 1994, it was $5 an ounce. 2000 came along, 2001. And at the end of 2001, the silver price was $4.03 an ounce. I mean, it had gone down. And every silver mining company was bleeding like crazy. By that time, we had, built, uh, we had acquired a, a silver mine in, uh, in uh, Peru. And we were losing half a million dollars a month. We only had six. We only had uh, enough working capital for, for six months. So we were basically on our way to go bankrupt by, 2000, by the end of 2001. Everything I thought would happen with silver was wrong, and and uh, you know we were left literally on the edge of bankruptcy. And luckily, again, you call it you know luck, but to yeah. some degree it was it was uh, something we had we had we had worked hard to get. Bill Gates, of all people, had bought 13% uh, of Pan American Silver. Yeah. I trotted down to Seattle to see his fund manager. He agreed to back us. We got we had enough money. We raised a bit of money at the bottom to last about 12 months. And sure enough, in the next you know six months or so, by by mid 2002, we started this crazy super cycle due to the Chinese uh, you know dynamic Chinese market uh, starting to consume massive amount of, of commodities of all kinds. And silver went up, gold went up, copper went up, everything went up, and we've never looked back. Yeah. And uh, and so you know, getting that timing right, well, there's no there's no skill in that. Yeah, you're, exactly. you're either in that kind of cycle or you're not. And I mean, to some degree, you can kind of predict cycles, but but nobody can predict precisely when they turn, precisely how long they last. Nobody can do that. Um, now. If I can just continue on on the luck side, or maybe on the on the not total luck side, you know, I have to say in 2001, um, when there was all this blood on the street, every company was losing its shirt in the mining game. Every commodity was down, uh, zinc, copper, you name it. Like almost a lot of them were at all time lows in real dollars, uh, such as copper, copper and silver, all time lows. Um, and I couldn't. I couldn't start another silver company because I had my silver company, Pan American. So I I read a, a, an article by a guy named Chris Blaine who who, uh, who wrote wrote about about trends in metal prices and trends in discovery rates and and he it was a fabulous article and it was just literally an epiphany happened the light bulb went on and I said how am I going to be able to profit from this low knowing that the cycle is going to turn it always does it always well we're in a cyclical world whether we like it or not. And so I said, okay, I'm going to see if I can go and buy all these copper deposits that are sitting around worthless because they're not economic at 70 cent copper and, uh, and put them into a, a, a kind of a company and just sit on it until copper prices go up. And eventually I bought 10 deposits all over the Americas, 10 deposits. And uh, well, within about a year, a year and a half, uh, we acquired them. We were just like drunken sailors. I mean, we were just <laughs> buying everything we could. 
in, 20, in 2002 and 2003. And by the end of 2003, guess what? That's when the copper price took off. So copper went from 70 cents to $1, $1.50, and it never looked back. And it's, you know, went up to $4 a pound. Meanwhile, uh, we changed from being buyers of copper deposits to being sellers of copper deposits. So anyway, in that cycle, it was a happy day. We invested a couple hundred million and made about two billion out of the, all the, the deals. And, um, you know, again, that was, that was a combination of luck, but it was being prepared for that cycle to turn. I didn't know when it was going to turn, but having all those copper deposits, buying them right at the bottom as cheap as Borscht, uh, we were able to uh, to make out like bandits, and and it was a really good strategy. So a bit of luck, a bit of skill, whatever, and a really good team of people who helped me. I had a rock star lawyer who made the deals. I had a great geologist, a great mining engineer who worked with me, uh, really solid team of people, and uh, a great communicator of all the stories who was who was able to, to get investors excited, raise lots of money, and Oh, it was a wonderful run um, in, the, in those years. Wonderful run. Yeah. Um, in those early days, were you destined to become a sort of mining entrepreneur um, and achieve what you have done today? Um, I mean, was it your dream or goal? I know you did mention that you probably, after a while, unemployable. Uh, you didn't obviously want to, didn't want to work for someone. But was it your dream and your goal to achieve what you have achieved no, when you're young, you know, uh, Rob, you, you don't, I don't think anyone has any ability to predict where they're going to end up. I mean, I have no idea I would have been as successful as I've been. It's just been, uh, quite frankly, I'm the most surprised person in the world. Uh, you know, you just put your head down and work hard and see where you go. And uh, that's kind of what I've done. And I made more mistakes than anyone. I mean, there were just one mistake after another, which, you know, now I'm making new mistakes. <laughs> well, they'll make mistakes. The difference is I, I guess I'm a fairly quick learner. I mean, I try not to make the same mistake again. But, you know, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anyone that told me this is how you do it. I just, I just basically went through the school of hard knocks. And, and like I said, I mean, the, the dumb things, I mean, it's like when you're young. It, how many dumb things do you do when you're a teenager? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so you, you just kind of muddle through things. And like yeah. I said, I kind of got luckier than otherwise. I worked with some great people who helped me a lot. And, and uh, timing was good in various respects. And so... So it was, it was really, I, and plus I was raising a family at the time. I mean, I got married in 1980 and, uh, and, uh, a wonderful wife, she's a doctor. She, she, she was working. And so, you know, we started having kids, 83, we had a kid, 85, another kid, 88 two twins and 93, another kid. So I ended up having five kids and, you know, I'm running around the world and, and, you know, promoting the <laughs> stories and doing this and that and everything else you need to do to run a successful company. And, uh, and, you know, at the same time, trying to maintain a, a single family and a single wife and, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a significant challenge. So, but anyway, it was, it was, so it was, I quite frankly, you know, I look back on those years and I, I just don't know how it all happened. I, I, I can't imagine how I couldn't do yeah. it today. Believe me at this, at this age, I just couldn't do it. I mean, yeah. I would take red eyes all the time. I, I take a red eye a couple of times a month, maybe even more, um, and uh, I, I, you know, read the kids a story at night, jump on an 11 o'clock flight to Toronto, promote all day the next day, jump on an evening flight back here. And the kids wouldn't even know I was away. And I tell them a bedtime story the next day. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to, uh, to pull lessons out of any of that. Uh, you're just too busy running. And, you yeah. know. But there was a certain energy there and a motivation to build things. And I have a, in my core, I would say, 
a certain amount of, uh, and, and most people who, who know me will agree, reasonable amount of selfishness and, and, and you, know, you know, greed and, and all those base characters of the human condition that actually are really good for entrepreneurs. I mean, that's yeah. what defines entrepreneurs. I'm impatient, you know, fairly focused on a vision. I mean, I really was like Pan American Silver. I had this vision to build the world's biggest and best silver mining company right from the get-go when we had no assets, no money, no, no properties, no people, nothing. But that was our dream, and we did it. Yeah. You know, well, we're the second biggest. We're not the biggest. Fresno is this wonderful Mexican uh, silver miner that it's just, uh, it's just, it's still there. But you know, that's we're chasing them. Yeah, chasing. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there certain aspects or areas that you had to work on, sort of, during your career, and um, that you found pretty challenging? And sort of, how did you overcome them? You know, I mean. Yeah, it's really hard to be general, Rob, when yeah. you say, how do you overcome challenges? Every challenge is different. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky, though, because I did have uh, I did have a stable family. I had a stable personal life. Uh, I really loved what I was doing. And when you love things, you're you can they kind of flow more easily. Uh, I had challenges all you know, all the time. I mean, I yeah. I've told you about a couple. I mean, another one we, we spent four years. Uh, trying to build the what would become the world's third largest silver mine in Russia, in in eastern Russia, a beautiful deposit, uh, and we spent three years uh, financing, you know, d- developing the deal. Which was, this is in the wild west in Russia, when Russia was just haywire in the mid uh, mid late nineties, and uh, we actually financed it all. We had the mine one third through construction, and we were attacked just when Putin came in in two thousand. Uh, sorry, December uh, 1999, there was a, a gang from St. Petersburg who attacked us and, uh, and through all kinds of slimy uh, tactics uh, ended up uh, frustrating the whole project. And uh, we, we couldn't beat them in. We tried to beat them in court. It was a failure. And eventually, you know, I just threw in the towel. Um, and uh, they ended up buying the deposit from me and uh, we got our money back, but we wasted four years. And you know, it was a, a case of high risk, high reward. A lot of people wouldn't have done that. I mean, I really begrudge it because it was four years wasted that I could have spent doing something else. But you know what, uh, Rob, if I was, uh, if I had that opportunity again today, I might actually go for it because okay. those sort of things are so rare. And when you have tough countries, I've worked in, I've worked in literally dozens of countries in my career all over the world. And you can never be too picky about where you work because countries change and they sometimes change for the better and they sometimes change for the worse. I think in the case of Russia, it has not changed. It's been bad to start and it's still bad today. But even in that environment, there have been a couple of companies that have succeeded. Bima Bima Gold was one and Kinross is another. And I take my hats off to those uh, those teams for having succeeded in a very 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 difficult environment um mm. I, I quite frankly don't know how they did it but yeah. um anyway those are so you know yeah. all the way through there were these challenges that came along and we just sort of fought them and and resolved them one way or the other it wasn't they're not just uh property challenges or, or metal market challenges a lot of them are people problems you know you have yeah. the wrong guy working with you it's hell and if you have the right guy working with you or woman it's it's just you know, having the right people working with you to build a common vision, I can't say enough about the joy of that. The team I have right now in Pan American Silver and the team I have in Equinox Gold, 
it's just solid, solid pleasure working with them. They're nice people. You know, you can have dinner with them. You can go on holidays with them. They're just, they're just lovely people. They're smart. You respect them. They respect you. And it's that environment that makes working in this kind of business fun. Hmm. Yeah. I'll ask you one more question about obviously your career. Um, is there anything that you would have changed or done slightly different if you look back? You know, there's a lot of mistakes I made, Rob, that I wouldn't make again, I think, or I would rather have not made. But in the, in the big picture, mistakes happen, right? Everybody yeah. makes mistakes uh, of all kinds. Uh, and uh, so I, I can't say, I, you know, I, it's been a hell of a journey. I, I really yeah. have been, the, you know, I've been more successful than, or more positive things have happened to me than any, any I've ever, I would ever normally have thought possible. So, you know, I, I cannot complain about anything. I mean, if yeah. I had to do it again, I'd do it exactly the same, mm. really exactly the same. I, I don't progress anything. I've made lots of mistakes I wouldn't do, but at the same time, you know, everybody makes mistakes. So yeah. it's an inevitable part of life. Yeah, certainly. What would you give? What advice would you give any up-and-coming mining professional that wants to sort of take that route as a mining entrepreneur? Any advice? Well, I've always I'm asked this a lot, and uh, I mean, not just by peers, but also by a lot of, of kids of, of friends of mine who who uh, who want to figure out what they want to do. And I always say, look at yourself in the mirror, determine what you're good at and what you like doing, because if 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 you put a square pegging a round hole, it's not going to work. And, and if, if you're, if you're basically not a risk taker, do not, be, you'll never be an entrepreneur. <laughs> you just won't. You've got to be able to take risk and then you've got to just accept the risk and move on. And, um, you know, you have to have this sort of drive and motivation to, to, to build things and do things yourself and not lean on others. I guess that's probably the, the number one thing. And so if, and, and the, the reality is there's really very few people who are good entrepreneurs and that's a good thing because if there were more the world would spin out of control it just wouldn't function i really do think though if you're going to build something uh requiring um like in a public company requiring sales skills you have to have sales skills you have to have that that passion the ability to communicate a story well and not everybody has that at the same time you know a good employee is worth his weight in gold or her weight her weight in gold uh so there's a lot of room for people to, to, to be working as part of a team led by, say, a, a, you know, some sort of crazed, you know, entrepreneur like myself. And, and so just because you may not be the lead in that game, you're still going to be a super important part of a senior team. And that's pretty fulfilling for a lot of people. So if you feel, you know, you're, you're say, a good engineer or a good geologist or a good accountant or lawyer, you know, be a good accountant, be part of a team, join a young team. You're going to have a lot of fun if it's successful. It's not going to be a lot of fun if it's not successful. That's risk. That's life. If you don't want to take that risk, join a big company, get that long-term, you know, career world and, and, and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, like you said, it's about building a team and using your strength. So if you're a good engineer, stick to engineering and let the other guys of your senior management team do what they specialize in. And, and I suppose you need to trust, need to trust them as well in their obviously separate disciplines and, and bring that all together, which I imagine that's what you've been doing. Um, what does it take to become a mining entrepreneur from your perspective? <laughs> I think I've already mentioned that, yeah. Rob, you know, I think you have to, you have to have a fair bit of drive and, uh, yeah. 
and passion and, you know, really selfish. Yeah. All that so, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about, obviously, your, your current companies now. So I obviously want to talk a bit about Equinox Gold and Pan American Silver um, that you own. Can you give us a, just a brief overview of both those companies? Oh, well, Pan American's a big, large cap, second biggest silver, primary silver mining company in the world. It's got 11 mines in six countries and it's a big operation, 12,000 employees, $10.5 billion market cap beautifully run solid fabulous pellet sheet great production great growth it's also a big gold producer what more can i say it's a fantastic company uh 26 years old now and uh and quite mature i'm a non-executive chair of pan american and founder uh equinox gold we started at the beginning of 2018 i tried my my goal there is as i said is my last company and I had just sold my renewable energy company. So I was sort of ready for my last hurrah and I wanted it to be a gold company because I love gold. And uh, I just think that the timing is good for, for at least then it was really good and it's, it's still to some degree good, but the, the big runs behind us. Uh, I was very, very optimistic about the gold price in, in 2017. So we put three companies together, uh, went public uh, start of uh, 2018. And the vision is to build a big gold mining company. So we had no mine in production when we started. We had one off, one uh, development project in Brazil. So we financed that in 2018 and, and, and began to construct it. Um, we then bought a mine at the end of 2018 in, in uh, California called Mesquite. We then uh, completed construction and started operating the Brazil mine in 2019. Uh, started construction on another mine in uh, California in late 2019 and then bought uh, a, a company called Leogold at the end of 2019. That deal closed in March this year. So our production was 25,000 ounces in 2018, 200,000 ounces in 2019, and we're on track for about 500,000 ounces this year, about 700 next year, and about a million ounces a year thereafter. So it's a fabulous growth uh, trend. There isn't another company, I think, in the gold mining business with this kind of growth. Um, and it's, it's grown quickly because uh, I've wanted to take it, I've really wanted to build a company with Equinox that um, takes advantage of today's market as opposed to 10 years ago's market. Today's market favors scale. So if you're going to build something that's an operating business, you want to go big. When you go big, you have big leverage to the price. So assuming the gold price goes up, you just have more and more value that comes to you from being a large producer with large reserves. You have income leverage on the, on the production side. The more production, the better. You have balance sheet leverage on the or capital leverage on the reserves and resources side. The higher the gold price, the more valuable, intrinsically value your company is because of all of your gold in the ground that you'll mine in the future. So, so Equinox today has uh, six operating mines. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very well run, uh, extremely good balance sheet now, making lots of money, and uh, it's just a, it's a great company. Um, you know, the target there is to become a senior gold producer, not, not a mid-cap, and we're on, well on the road to, to being that in, in a couple of years. So that's, that's the plan there. And then there's a couple of junior gold companies that I'm quite involved with uh, in Ecuador. One is called Lumina Gold, which is um, – as a big uh, gold deposit, 17 million ounce gold deposit, which uh, the company is now trying to divest through to uh, a process to to uh, to find a major company that'll that'll take that on and, and build a mine from it, and another junior called Luminax Luminax Resources in Ecuador, again a, 
an earlier stage company, but full of opportunities. So those are, that's my world right now. I've got a whole pile of investments in different companies, but in terms of really working on things, those are the big four that, that, that occupy my time. Um, but I have to say, it may sound like I'm busy. I'm not that busy these days. I'm not really running anything. All those companies are very well managed. Yeah. A lot of my time right now is actually on philanthropy. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give away a lot of my, my wealth and, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's just as much fun as making it quite frankly. Yeah. And what, what are you doing then? Uh, is it well, you're focusing on? Yeah, there is a focus, a hundred percent focus. Uh, I have a family foundation called Sitka S I T K A Sitka. It's a big tree here on the West coast. Uh, Sitka Foundation, and uh, it's 100% dedicated to protection of the environment and protection of biodiversity, 100%. Uh, so that's our focus. Uh, I've always loved nature. I've, I've wanted to protect it as much as possible, try to reverse some of the damage humans are doing, you know, the millions of species that have no voices, and, and mine is a little voice for them. While 90, 98% of giving, I don't know if you know this, 98% of giving, Actually, it's 99%. Uh, 1% goes to animal welfare. 99% of giving then goes to people or things that are nice to people, like little pets. Uh, only 1% of all giving goes to the nature. And yet, and yet humans have to have healthy nature or we, we can't exist. And, and right now, our nature is under assault. So, you know, that's, that's what I'm protecting. And, and, and you know, anybody can, can Google... Uh, uh, the Sitka Foundation to find out what we support. We support dozens. I think we're doing seven. We fund we fund seventy four or seventy five different groups across Canada and and also in the world. And I'm on the board of several uh, environmental nonprofits: the Pacific Salmon Foundation, uh, Nature Trust, uh, DC Parks Foundation, um, uh, a group in New York called Panthera that looks after wild cats of the world and protects them as best uh, they can and the habitat that the cats need. So anyway, I'm doing a lot of that, and that's actually just as occupying of my time as as anything in the mineral space is today. Yeah. How do you see the precious metals market over the next five to ten years? The which market? The, the precious metals market. Oh, the precious so metal market. Gold, yeah, well, gold and know, silver. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're in a bull market, and it's, you know, everybody knows that. It's uh, it's the fourth it's the fourth year of a bull market. It began in twenty uh, in twenty sixteen uh, when we broke out of a, of a trend. The metal price broke out um, in in twenty beginning of twenty sixteen from a base of you know like gold price of, of ten fifty an ounce and now it's two thousand so obviously it's it's a it's a very powerful bull market it was a bull market anyway before COVID so COVID just yeah. you know just added added fuel to the fire but um, you know it's going to go for a long time I don't think it's over now it's uh, it's 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 there's no reason that any fundamental reason for Gold having having been strong in the last four years is 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 over now. Quite the contrary, the amount of liquidity that the, the central banks are pumping into the economy and the debasement of currencies globally, uh, zero interest, negative interest uh, bonds. Uh, I mean, I could just go on and on. Supply issues, you know, it's 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 just the perfect storm for gold prices and silver prices by the same token. So I don't see this ending anytime soon, and uh, uh, it's it's a great time to be in the gold and silver business. Yeah, a lot of our listeners are um, majority of them are from the mining industry, and I'm sure a lot of them do invest in invest in um, shares and in companies. Why should our listeners invest in either Equinox or Pan American Silver? 
Well, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of opportunities to invest in a lot of different companies. I mean, everybody should. I don't think anybody should invest in one company or two companies in this space. It's too risky. This is a very yeah. risky trend. I mean, things can blow up any at any time. Uh, and and of course, you know, the other thing is you you know what what returns do you expect? If you want to get fifteen percent by the big companies, uh, if you want to get one hundred and fifty percent by the little companies, they have way better leverage, but they also can lose you every penny you invest. So it's all it's all what investors want to buy. Uh, I have a broad spectrum of investments myself and companies that I'm working on, everything from a large cap like Pan American to a mid cap like Equinox to the juniors like like Lumina Gold and Luminax and, and a whole host of others I'm a significant investor in. So that's, you know, a diversified portfolio is always the right the right solution. And uh, and there's lots of opportunities from, from Barrick all the way down to the, the, the micro caps. Um, but it's, you know, it's the old story. In a, in, a, in a rising tide, all ships are floated. So if gold prices continue to go up, every gold investment is going to do well, some better than others. And that's where, you know, you've got to look at the management teams and the finances they've got and their propensity to blow money and, and, and so on. <laughs> yeah. I've um, got a couple more questions for wrap this up. Um, is there any one sort of past or present that you owe so much gratitude to that's helped you become where you are today? Um, and how did they help you? Yeah. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of, a lot of people. I started with my father. My father was a great, he was a great, he was an entrepreneur himself in the lumber business. And I just looked up to him. He, he showed to me that you can, you can do these things by hard work. You don't have to lie or cheat or steal or, or, you know, try to cut corners. And uh, unfortunately he died when I was uh, 20 or 21. So I, I, I lost that opportunity to kind of follow that through his, his later life. And, uh, and, uh, but I certainly inherited his his entrepreneur gene. My my two brothers did not, but I did, <laughs> and that's that's the way things work. Um, you know, the guys that I worked with, the, the teams that I worked with, really in the early company Equinox School, I worked with an engineer named John Wright, who was just I just the guy walked on water as far as I'm concerned. He helped me so much. The team I had in Lumina Gold, uh, Lumina Copper, I should say, all my Lumina team, just wonderful, wonderful people, and tremendously helpful. Pan American. You know, again, solid core, solid team, uh, really lovely people and, and, and great amount of fun, renewable energy. Like I could just go on. There's yeah. lots of good people, but there was nobody who was a kind of a real mentor to me. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have that. And yeah, I don't know if I, obviously I don't think I really needed it, but uh, you know, you make your own mistakes. And like I said, you just get, you get hit, you get, you get knocked down, you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and carry on. That's the, that's the uh, the only thing I can I can say has, has certainly worked for me. Yeah, um, if there was someone that you would uh, want on this podcast that you would want to listen to, um, who could you suggest that I get in contact and interview? Well, the the great I mean the guys, some people are just amazing at at what they've accomplished. I, I've been in that category myself. I, I I'm a, I, it amazes me what what success I've had and what wealth we've created. It's it's I never expected any of this. It just it just happened. But you know the the great the, you know the, the the leaders in this business who make people inordinate amount of money again and again and again. There's there's a handful. You know Friedland is in that category. He's a genius. The guy's brilliant. He is not unflawed. Nobody is. But the guy's just unbelievable. Uh, Lucas Lundin. Uh, Lucas has just not only has he created immense wealth and 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 made you know billions for communities and and people all over the world with his entrepreneurship and his company building. But he's also an absolutely spectacularly nice guy and a 
tremendous amount of fun to be with. So he's a dear friend, and I, I just, you know, Lucas is, is, is one of these sort of icons that I, I worship. Rick Rule, you've had Rick on, right? Yeah, Rick is just course, the smartest. Yeah. <laughs> he just understands this business. He's been doing it all his life. He's like me. He's 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 late on now in, in his career, and uh, it's not going to go for too much longer. But but uh, the guy's just brilliant, and anybody who listens to Rick and, and follows his advice is going to is going to do well. It's it's a, a straight line. Yeah. Um, Richard Wark. Richard Wark. No, nobody knows about Richard Wark, but the guy has just had home run after home run. He's currently got a little company called Solaris, which put out a, a, a hole earlier this week that was a you know fabulous hole. But Richard's just a really smart guy. He had Ventana, Augusta. He's had home run after home run, and yet he's quiet. He he doesn't uh, go into the limelight. He's uh, he's uh, he just likes to make people money and himself uh, as much as anybody. So, but again, he makes himself money. Yeah. Everybody comes along in these public companies. He starts. Hmm. Ross, really appreciate your time doing this podcast. I know you're a busy, busy man. Um, if anyone of our audience wants to reach out to you um, or find out more about, obviously, um, Equinox and uh, Pan American, how can they go about doing that? And are you on Just, any so- social media platforms? I'm not on any social media platforms, and I don't want anybody bothering me. I have enough <laughs> things that occupy my life. Uh, if they want to know about the company, of course, all the companies have uh, investor relations teams and they, yeah. everything's public it's all in the, it's all online they can they can go on uh, they can go and dig it up themselves yeah no worries really appreciate your time <laughs> Ross. lazy doesn't it <laughs> no, no you're, you're you're a busy you're a busy man and obviously that's what you've got you've got teams to, to do that I, you'd be surprised where i spend my time though i spend half of, half of my time in my garden it's a joy to behold yeah, but you said you you live on the sea, so and it's summertime, so I imagine uh, you won't be doing too much work and uh, spending obviously spending the summer where you are at the moment. So, um, yeah. well, I'm off on a I'm off on a five four or five day kayak trip in a couple of days, and of all the things I do, those are the things I love doing the most. Lying on on a beach somewhere in, in a tent and yeah. uh, just uh, it's it's fabulous. Well, it seems you thoroughly deserve it anyway. So. <laughs> Really appreciate your time, Ross. Um, I'm sure the audience will um, get a lot from this um, and listen to uh, obviously your journey. So I really appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, appreciate the audience for listening. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.